Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk in daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. So we're into our final message in our series of Heroes of the Faith. And I don't know about you, you may not have gotten anything out of this summer, but I have, and so it's been great. Um, I hope you've got stuff out of the messages. I've listened to Pastor Carlos and Pastor Charles' messages. They did a great job. Um, I'm loving the Heroes of the Faith because what encourages me about the Heroes of the Faith, and this is kind of my whole idea with it, my prayer and my hope was that you realize they are normal people like you and me. And they are heroes of the faith. So if we were going to write in history and in Bethel history, and a hundred years from now, they open it up and start reading, I hope that you believe your name can be in there because of the steps of faith that you took. Um, the key verse that we've had been looking at is Hebrews 11, 1 to 2. It says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what they were commended for. They were commended because of their confidence that they could walk in their hope and their insurance. But here's the thing. None of them could see it. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. One of the things I wonder is how many of you with sight this summer um, yes, I've worn T-shirts every time I'm here, and if you've caught on, they've all been superhero T-shirts. I don't know, did anybody like not catch that? It wasn't just, I'm sure at first you're like, why is he wearing T-shirts? And then you might have saw it. And this morning, I didn't even know that they made T-shirts for Robin because he's kind of the sidekick to Batman. <laughs> but I found this shirt that's for Robin and it just so happens this morning we're talking about Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> and so the R goes with the R. If you're trying to connect it, I'll just connect it for you. And so this is what I've done. I've just had fun with it. Some of you have come up to me during the summer like, what t-shirt you got on? Some of you caught on. Some of you may be sitting here going, I didn't even pay attention. And that's okay. Um, but this morning, we're talking about Rahab the prostitute. And... I love when I think somebody else mentioned Rahab the prostitute and I don't, Miles isn't in here, he's gone, right? And Miles leaned over to Melissa and was like, what's a prostitute? <laughs> and you're just like, I think she was like, ask your dad. <laughs> Not that I have more knowledge. <laughs> just being very clear. But here's the interesting thing with Rahab. Let's read about her in Hebrews 11:31. It says, "By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient." Some versions will say those who unbelieved. So she is in here because let's be completely honest, if we use it in other words, she was a traitor who hid spies. Because she knew they were going to lose. 
And she was like, God is going to give you the victory. God walks with you. And so if you know the story of Jericho and all of this kind of stuff, we're gonna, I'm not going to read through Joshua 2 to like Joshua 6 this morning. We're just going to kind of talk about it this morning. And so it's really interesting to me that Rahab makes it into the heroes of faith. I don't know about you, just the fact that he writes it in, and then the following verses, if you read Hebrews 11, I hope you have this summer a little bit, and I hope you kind of read some of the the stories about the characters that we've been talking about, Um, and I don't even like calling them characters, the people we've been talking about, and as you read through them, understand what they've done, but here's the interesting thing I find with Rahab, is she just hid people, but in the following verses in Hebrews 11, it lists off a whole bunch of other people that he could have just highlighted a little bit more. Like Rahab only has, like, what is it, one sentence? But, like, there's David down there. There's other ones, and my brain's not functioning at the moment to rhyme them off. But there's more there that he could have elaborated on. Like, he didn't elaborate on even David. But he elaborates just even a sentence on Rahab the prostitute. And so when you think of Jericho, here's kind of the highlights of it. At the beginning of Joshua 2, he sends two spies into the promised land. It's not just Jericho. He sends them into the promised land, and he tells them, go check everything out, especially Jericho. See, Jericho is one of the oldest cities ever. And as over the age of it, they always had big walls, but they would sometimes crumble, and they just started building them, and building them better and, and, and higher. And as they built them, and as they worked around it, this is why he wanted to check it out, because it was going to be hard to conquer. We have a picture of the city, what they think it should look like. So this is kind of what the city looked like. So it's not just one big wall. There's another one in behind. So they actually have what they call the lower wall and the upper wall. And so a lot of the richer uh, people lived in the upper area. And down below is kind of where some of the lower ones lived. And so this is the way it looked. And just so you know, this is, this is how big the walls are. Can you jump to the next picture? The walls, this is how it was built, even on an embankment. So between those two walls that you saw in the other picture, it's a bit of an embankment. So the houses are built in because the whole thing is supposed to be a challenge. So it's about six feet wide on the lower wall and about seven meters or 23 feet high. And then as you come in, it varies in length between the front and the back, depending on where the city was. And on the back wall, it's about 12 feet wide on the bottom. And it's about 30 feet high. So you have to envision, as the Israelites are walking around, they're staring up at how big this wall is. Now, just to make it even more challenging because of the height of the walls... If you go back to that first picture or the next picture, I think it's doubled up. See the ditch? So it wasn't just good enough to have these massive walls. I don't know about you, but anytime I see big walls, like I'm short. So the last thing I need is for you to dig a hole beside something tall. So if you're standing at the bottom, this is what it looks like to stare up. You can jump to that other picture and we'll come back to this one. This is what it looks like to stare up to the top of the wall. This is what the Israelites were up against. So this is why he was like, go check out the promised land, especially Jericho. So go back to the ditch for a second. Just the ditch alone is surrounding the wall, and it is about 27 feet wide. 
and about nine feet deep. So it's almost as deep as a basketball net. So this is the city. And to walk around the city, anybody ever trying to like, how long did it take them to walk around this place? Anybody think that's the, just the lazy walker in the room? How far is this, seriously? And I got to do it once a day and seven on the last day? Are we getting Timbits afterwards? Um, the circumference around the city is about 600 meters. It's about 2,000 feet. So it's not overly huge. So they would walk around it once a day. But as you walked around, you see this massive ditch, and you see this crazy high wall. And then after you see the crazy high wall, you look past it and see a higher wall. Anybody ever, like, hiking, and all of a sudden you see a peak, and you're like, all right, let's get up there. And you get to the top of the peak, and as you get there, and you're like, yeah, there's more. <laughs> this is what the Israelites are facing. It's like, okay, we see that, oh, there's another wall. This is why Jericho was so huge. So while the spies were there, the officials found out there were spies. So they went looking for them. They get into Rahab's house, and she hides them on her roof. And they come to the door and ask if they are there. Now let's understand. Rahab the prostitute, which is how she's defined and, and called throughout scripture, straight up lies to the officials. Nope, they're not here, they left already. And they went that way. Now we can talk about the fact that she lied, but at this moment, she's Rahab the prostitute. Lying is not such a big deal here. And she sends them the other way. And then once she sends them the other way, that night, she tells them, please, look, please remember me. And she lowers them out her window, which was built in the wall. See, depending on your stature, you would have people living in the upper, people living in the lower, and then you actually had some people living in the wall. And so she was living in the wall, so she was able to lure them out, and away they went, and they remembered her. Joshua, we're going to read through what happens here. We're going to look at Joshua 6, 15, and it says this. This is Joshua talking to his army. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around... When the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that it is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. And then Joshua 6.20 says, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the man gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Jumping to Joshua 6.22, we're just jumping a couple verses. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with her, your oath to her. 
So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, and her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. They put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Now there's something interesting for me to look at here. In verse 20 of chapter 6, the walls collapsed. Right? When they marched around and they shouted, Scripture says the walls collapsed. But yet, where was Rahab's house? In the wall. So Rahab's house is in the wall, but the whole walls come crumbling down. And then Joshua says, go into her house and bring her out. Do you know that archaeologists, have they have built and like dug in and found Jericho? Can I show you a picture of what they found? Can you show, I think, is the next thing a picture? This is one of the only parts of the wall that's still standing. So as the walls came tumbling down, her and her family are in the wall. So the Lord not only knocked all the walls down, but he spared a house. So no matter what's happening in your life, what seems to be crumbling around you, if you have a firm foundation, just a mustard seed of faith, he can still keep your house standing. Joshua instructs the army in verse 16 and 17. The seventh time around, when the priests sound the trumpet blast, Josh commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. Because she hid spies. This is why she's in the heroes of the faith. She hid spies. It wasn't her lifestyle. And here's the interesting thing with Rahab. When you read, there's only a couple spots where she's called Rahab. Most of the time she's called Rahab the prostitute or the prostitute Rahab. Do you realize how many people in the chapter... Hebrews 11, the heroes of the faith, their names got changed. Think about how many of them, when they got close to God and they started doing things for God, he just shifted their names a little bit. Abram term Abraham. We have Israel. Even Peter had his name changed. David, we talked about David. David murdered somebody. First had an affair, then murdered somebody to cover it up. But we know David is a man after God's own heart. But no matter where you read about Rahab, most of the time she is called the prostitute Rahab or Rahab the prostitute. Her name never changed. 
I don't know about you, but you think somewhere along the line, somebody would say, hey, Rahab did a good thing. Let's just drop the whole prostitute thing. How many of you would like to walk into church and whatever your past was, we called it by that? None of us, right? Not a single one of us want us to be known for our past. But yet Rahab, her past wasn't changed, but she was redeemed. People still knew, but she didn't let it define her. And her past did not define her future. Your past cannot define your future. And you can't let other people do that, and you yourself can't do that. Because Rahab, if she would have just always thought, oh my goodness, like the way I did this was I lied. And they still call me the prostitute. When are they going to drop that part of my name? When will I not be identified as my past? But see, here's the thing. She did not let her past define her future because in Matthew 1, 5 to 6, let's talk about the genealogy of God, of Jesus. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Theologians will argue whether it's Rahab the prostitute or another Rahab, but majority of them say this is Rahab the prostitute. She was the, father, the mother of Boaz. And Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. And before we even read the last line, if you're already saying, no, I don't think it's Rahab the prostitute because they didn't call her that. They wouldn't have somebody like that in the genealogy of God. Read the last line. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. They don't even put Bathsheba's name in there. God redeems everybody. He will redeem you, and he will use you. God can take a bad situation and bring so much good out of it. I don't know about you, but when I read through this, it just gives me hope. It gives me confidence. It lets me know, wait a minute. In Jesus' genealogy, there was a prostitute, and there was an affair, and a murder to cover it up. Man, my family's starting to sound really normal right now. If you begin to think that this is how God brought Jesus into the world, how much more can he do with you? Think about the things that Rahab does, and yet God uses her. See, she didn't let her past define her, and we, you, me, cannot let our past disqualify us. I don't know about you, but there's a journey in my life where I just realized all the things that I have done, all the things that I messed up on, I don't think God can use me. 
And I was just talking to somebody on the phone, and they just kind of said to me this week, uh, one of my mentors, and he just said, like, Chad, we kind of just bumped into each other. We kind of just came into relationship. I don't really know you. Like, I don't know your story. Tell me your story. And so I started sharing my story. And I realized in my story I did this. I disqualified myself. And as I worked through the story, it was just mind-boggling how God just opened doors and hid code of conducts because I wouldn't be able to sign them to workplaces. And he allowed me to workplaces that allowed me to change the direction of my life. We cannot disqualify ourselves. Some of you here this morning, you might be sitting here and you might not be like Rahab the prostitute. You might not be like David who had an affair and killed somebody. But you have something. And it just kind of pokes. And it just kind of reminds you And I just want you to know, that's not Jesus reminding you. It's the enemy trying to disqualify you. And I remember, still to this day, it was the May long weekend of 2002. It was at youth convention in Kingston. And I can still tell you, looking at the stage in the hockey rink where the bleachers are up here, it's center ice the stage, and just right over here, probably right around the faced-off dot of the offside, I still remember weeping. And God showing me a vision of somebody being crucified, which I realized was Jesus. And you might think it was like, heavy guilt. It wasn't. But what I felt was two things. The first thing I felt is I've been asking God for a long time to forgive me of my sins. God showed me what my sins, first thing I felt was this is what my sins cost. But then it also reminded me that they were paid for. And so whatever's going on in your life, whatever the enemy likes to bring up from your past, it's been paid for. And you are free. And if God can use somebody like Rahab, if God can use somebody like David, if God can use somebody like me, he can definitely use every single one of you in this room right now. Because he redeems us. He never disqualifies us. Because when you were born, you were born with a purpose. You were set apart. And it wasn't just to attend Bethel Church and sit in the pews and maybe take some notes, maybe sing some songs. He has a purpose for you being here. And it's not just to put money in an offering plate. It's to be involved. It's to do something for him. Because see, here's the thing, and this is what my heart is for you this summer. As you look past, back over the summer, and the heroes of the faith, I hope that you at least have one hero. 
That as you look through, you identify with, you're like, that's kind of like me. But as you look through them, I want to ask you the question, what do we know them for? Why are they in there? What are they remembered for? Are they remembered for the way that they prayed? Maybe. Are they remembered for the way they led? Okay, possibly. Are they remembered for the way they trust God? Sure. A little bit of all of that. Because they prayed and God told them what they needed to do to trust him, some people led other people, but they all did what God asked them to do. They're heroes of the faith because of what they did. It wasn't about their prayer life, although it was good. It wasn't about the time they spent with God privately, although they did. It was what they did with that. See, James, James 1, or sorry, James 2, starting at verse 14. It says this. What good is it? We're going to read through this slowly. So what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Don't jump to the next slide yet. Hold on. I think too often I pray about things that I'm actually the answer to. And that's not an egotistical statement. If I'm praying for somebody and I know they have a need and I'm like, oh, Lord, just meet their need. But yet I can meet their need. Why am I praying? Well, we got to hear from God. No, it's pretty much right there. Some of our answers to prayer, he's already written. But God, I just need you to meet that person's need. Do a breakthrough for them. No, you are the breakthrough. Lord, I just pray for this loved one, this coworker, just, just to come into relationship with you. Well, talk to them about Jesus. Invite them to Alpha. Yeah, but I don't, Lord, God, I've walked with you for years. I don't need to take Alpha. No, but your coworker does. Oh, do you realize how often we are the answer to the prayer? God, just send somebody across their path. You're standing in their path. That's why you live where you live. You work where you work. There's things we don't need to pray about. Verse 17. In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, the scripture tells us here that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and we walk by faith, 
we should be doing things by faith. And I know you're listening right now, and you're like, Chad, we know this. I've read James. I, this is the scriptures. But are you living it? Because, say, I don't know about you, but there's areas of the Bible that I know, but I don't actually do. And Jesus says to us, don't be hearers of the word, but doers. Some of us, after this summer series, and you've identified and realized, man, these heroes of the faith are just like me, man. They screwed up. They messed up. Some of them are pretty, idi- pretty big idiots. And they're still remembered as heroes of the faith. Oh, God, what can I do? That should be our thoughts, not just, oh, I identify with them. No, God, what can I do? What can I do? Because, God, if you've used them, oh, man, I think you can use me. This should be encouragement. This should be exciting to read through the heroes of the faith and realize, I can do this. I can do this. The next verse, verse 19. You believe that there's one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So what sets us apart as people who believe in God and the demons? Have you ever read that scripture and realized that's what it's comparing it to? I believe in Jesus, so do the demons. Yeah, but my faith is strong in who he is. Well, the demons know who he is. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Anybody want some evidence? Verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he prayed. By what he sang. By what he talked about with other Christians. His faith was made complete by what he did. By what he did. Next verse. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. I don't know about you, but man, I would love to be called God's friend. I would love for God to look down and bump Jesus in the elbow. Hey, there's Chad, my buddy. I would love to get to heaven. And of course, we all know St. Peter's at the gate. We don't know that. (laughs) But I'd love to be able to walk up to Peter and be like, and just as I'm getting to Peter and he's about to ask who I am, you hear God in the background, Peter, that's Chadley, let him in. Don't ever call me Chadley. I don't know where that just came from. (laughs) I have no idea. Truthfully, I don't like Chadley. I don't know why I just called myself that. <laughs> just caught up in the moment. Jesus and God can call me Chadley, no problem. I'll come running. 
But wouldn't you like that Peter's about to be like, you are, and you hear God, get out of the way, Peter. He's on the list. He's my friend. Next verse. You see that a person who is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. A person is considered righteous by what they do. See, our Christianity, our faith is an action. And it's not just a private one. Yes, do devotions, read the word of God, pray, spend time with him, worship him on your own. But your faith needs to have actions. Pastor Carlo talked about it with our relationship with God. It can't stop. How many people know that in, the, in a relationship, love is actually a verb? If all I did was tell Melissa I love her, but I never showed her that I loved her, let's be honest, my relationship would be rough. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. And there's probably many of us that as I say that, you're like, oh, Chad, I obey, I obey all the commands. I don't, I don't kill people. I don't lie. I don't steal. Most of us lie because if we're late, we say traffic was bad. We don't say we left two minutes late and then traffic was bad. No, no, traffic was normal. I just left late, but I'll blame it on traffic. We might not do some of the big ones, but do we obey all his commands? It's by what we do. And the biggest one is just obedience. God asked you. Next verse. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As James is trying to show Faith and deeds working together. He mentions Abraham and Rahab still's got the name, the prostitute. And she is identified because of what she did. And the very last verse for us to close this series. As the body without the spirit, which we all believe is dead. So faith without deeds, is dead. So what step of faith is God wanting you to take? What step do you need to take today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this whole series and just identifying how much the heroes of the faith are just normal people. But your Lord, they had faith in you, they heard from you, and then they did something crazy. They obeyed you. And this morning, Father, as we want to leave this series, and Lord, as the summer kind of wraps up, as we are just sad by that, that, Father, we realize that, Lord, it's not just hearing good messages. It's not just coming into your house and going, that was great. I didn't realize about that person. 
This was new information. But now, Lord, our faith without actions is no faith at all. And so, Lord, I pray for just a stirring in our hearts, not just for certain people, but everyone in the room, a stirring in our hearts, Father God, to follow you, to take this step. Some of us, Lord, you may have been asking us to take this step for years, and that today, Father, we're going to take the first step in obedience, the first step of our faith is evident by what we do. And so, Lord, I pray for strength this week. I pray that, Lord, you encourage everybody in this room knowing that, Father, if Rahab the prostitute can be remembered, so can we. And that, Lord God, you show us and help us take that bold step, that first step of obedience. And lead us this week. Strengthen us. And, Lord, I pray against the lies of the enemy that might try to disqualify us. And, Lord, redeem our past. And this morning, by your grace, we are all qualified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well. 